Last week, if you were here, we looked at a few passages that moved us towards the heart of Christ, and my goal was to put in front of us who is Jesus Christ, because we are his people. If we say we worship him, we ought to look something like him, or maybe better put, act like him. The scriptures will talk about having the mind of Christ. So last week we looked at this idea of unity. Because our God is triune, three persons in one, there is a unity within him that ought to show up in us. We, we went to a few passages, namely Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17. We looked at unity. This week our goal is to practice it. As Rich said in his prayer, we have communion coming up, and normally we take a, a time and just introduce us to communion, prepare ourselves for communion and for the Lord's table, and, and instead of just doing that in a short spot, we're going to use the whole sermon to speak to that. So, if you would, open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapters, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at the second half of that passage. I had this thought. I don't know if this was in the right direction, but I did thank the Lord this week for the Corinthians. Man, were they a mess. Right? So, I don't know. Misery loves company or, or what, but there's so much we learn from Paul's letters to the Corinthians because he keeps having to correct them. We know that the Lord instituted the, the Lord's Supper as he with his disciples at, at, at Passover broke the bread and, and drank of the cup together. And he, and he said, now do this, telling them, do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to see that in our passage. So he, he instituted it. But here we get to drop in on a church actually trying to practice it and doing a really bad job of it. And so we get some correction. Before I read it, if you have your Bibles open, you may just put your finger there and hold it there because I want to set the stage for what this church's gathering was like back in the Roman Empire in this city called Corinth in a time very different than ours. We're kind of used to this, right? You come in, all the seats are facing this direction, there's enough seats for us, and, and, and nobody rushes to the front, really. You guys actually do a pretty good job. We got lots of room up here if anybody needs it. You know, middle to back is kind of preferred. In the Roman Empire, it was, it was very different. If we were to observe what was going on in this church in Corinth that Paul is writing to, it might look something like this. We see, we see a man coming home from work. It might be a Saturday or Sunday evening because where he's headed is to a house church. There was no building at that time for the church to gather in, probably in the 60s, maybe A.D., not long after the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of his spirit on the believers a few decades maybe, but it hadn't certainly come into all the trappings that we think of. We think of going to church, 
they thought of gathering as the church, and it would be good for us to adopt that too when we gather on Sunday mornings, even when we gather in small groups. This man coming off work could be a Saturday or Sunday. The Christian influence had not yet affected the culture, so you worked seven days a week. And all God's people said, thank you for the Christian influence and for Saturdays and Sundays. This man grabs just a few, a few things, uh, a few bits of food, not really even enough to fill himself, certainly not enough to share in any sort of potluck setting. He heads to the house uh, where his church is gathering, and like he would normally do, he comes in. He's not greeted by the host. He's greeted by a servant of the host because you needed to gather at somebody's house that was big enough, and so it's a wealthy house or villa, as they might have called it back then. And he hears a ruckus in the side room of some people who had already gathered and seemed like the party had already started over there. And he gathers with those that he knows and is used to in the atrium area. I, you know, we don't know how many people are here, 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, maybe. Archaeology, archaeologists have uncovered some of these villas, you know, who they belong to, we don't know, of course, but whether they were Christians or not, it would have been something like this, that the atrium would have been big enough in these bigger places for maybe 40 people to gather. This gentleman has his little bit of food, and, and, and those around him do, and likely he shared some greeting with them. Because this wasn't just a party. This wasn't just, a, just going to, over to somebody's house to get together and, to, and to, to, to have a good time together. This was a gathering of the believers. It was this particular house gathering of the believers. Now, we already know that, that if you see in the, the beginning of the book of, of Corinth, one of the first things that Paul's dealing with are these factions, are these, these divisions. There seemed to be, and, and I think it goes this way, that maybe some house gatherings said, hey, we follow Paul. He's our man. We, f we love what he says. We, we, we're, we're devoted to him. We think he's got it right. And some are like, no. No, we're a little bit different what Peter's got it right. And some are like, no, Apollos, this guy, he's the one who's got the, the Christian teaching right. And some follow Jesus. We, of course, would go to that house, right? But this man who comes into this, this Christian fellowship, men, women are, are gathered, and, and, and maybe some, some sort of words are shared, and at some point, there's some stop in, in what everybody's doing, and there's a little bit of breaking of bread, and there's a drink of a little bit of wine, maybe a sharing of a common cup, and they recognize here briefly that Jesus' body was broken so that we who are broken can be healed, so that we who are sinners can be forgiven, so that we who are orphans can be adopted into the family of God worse than orphans. Our father is the devil apart from being adopted into the family of God. We who are disunited and have all these reasons to be apart come together and are united. But you might have noticed that at this house gathering, 
there's, there's different things going on in different rooms. And the problem is that this group is not demonstrating that united front that Jesus expects of his people. Because what's happening in, in this side room, which is the private dining room of the host, these are the wealthy men in the community who are followers of Jesus Christ. Their wealth allowed them to come a little early. Their wealth allowed them to bring more food. The host and his wealth allows him to treat them to a better meal. And if he shares anything with the people in the atrium, it might just be a scrap. It's really interesting. Another thing the archaeologists have, have found and looked into, in addition to kind of the architecture, which if you're an architect, I don't know if we have any in here, but architecture shapes us. We do things because of how our homes and our buildings are designed. That is just a footnote, actually, free of charge here in this sermon. <clears throat> in this house, the private dining room was occupied by the host and the other well-to-do, wealthy believers in the community. They would be reclining probably near them, maybe sitting at their feet would be kind of some up-and-coming young men, some 20-somethings or 30-somethings who show prominence or opportunity to, to grow into these leadership positions in the community. They would have lots to eat in that room because that's how the host served, that's, how, that's what these people brought. They would have lots to drink in this room. This was not non-alcoholic wine, as we will see from this passage that these people in this separate room are drinking. This type of gathering with people based on social status, dividing into separate parts of the room, was the culture of the Greco-Roman Empire, a very honor-shame culture. So if you're hosting, you treat those who are higher in society, you treat them better because that's what you're expected to do. So you invite them into your private dining room. You give them what is owed to them, a good meal, lots of food, lots of drink. And those who are lower in society don't have as much. You, you, they can come, but they're in different areas. This was the Greco-Roman culture. The problem, as we'll see when we drop into this, is this is not Jesus' culture. Jesus' culture says you treat everyone the same. You, some of you might be thinking, or rightly so, of other passages where Paul will say there is no longer slave or free. He might well have said there's no longer rich nor, nor poor. He doesn't argue against being rich, and we're going to see that in this passage. There is nothing wrong with this sort of party going on, aside from the drunkenness. There's nothing wrong with a host inviting people over and having a party like this. What's wrong is that this is the gathering of the church, and people are treated not equal at the foot of the cross, but unequal because of what they do, because of their status in society. I want to start us there because that is so different from our culture. Our culture, which is very democratic, which is very egalitarian. Everybody's equal. 
Everybody should have same opportunity. And thanks be to God for that. We as the church of God need to continue to fight for that in our society. We have some challenges that come with our view of society and our approach embedded in our culture. Individualism is going to be one of those, and I'll come back to that here in a little bit. But with that in mind, this idea of stepping into this Roman villa in the Greco-Roman world and, and, and it just being normal that this gentleman coming off of work, bringing a little bit to eat, to, to have this supper with his fellow believers and seeing it's, it's just happened, but that it's a very different dinner, he would have in some ways expected that. Paul, Paul does not con uh, uh, commend them for it, we will see but quite the opposite. And if they continue to practice the Lord's Supper this way, they can't expect the judgment of the Lord to come down on them. Follow along, if you will, with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The passage on the Lord's Supper starts at verse 17. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you on this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined 
so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Father, we ask that you do, as Rich said, open our eyes and our hearts to the truth that you have in this passage. We know it wasn't written directly to us. It's very different in terms of what's happening here. But let us see the truth you have for us. Because we want to proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes. For his glory and our good, we ask, we'll do this work now in Jesus' name, amen. You see in this passage now, hopefully, by, by setting it up that way, you see a little bit of, of what's happening. Paul hears about from someone there that there's these, these divisions happening. Yeah, this might be what happens in the Greco-Roman world, but Paul sees right through that and says, no, that does not happen in the church of Jesus Christ. You don't have some people sitting over there and some other people in some sort of place of honor. Everyone comes in. Some of you may be thinking about the book of James where, again, as James writes to his audience, he says, you guys, you have somebody rich come in and you like usher them to the front. If this was America, you would usher them right to the back. Because they get the seat of honor. You might even pull out an extra seat and put it way in the back because they are so special. <clears throat> Don't do that. Don't let them find their own seat. Let them sit in the middle. Let them sit in the front. It doesn't matter. And in their culture, don't bring these people into this special room. Don't bring these people all the way to the front so everyone else can see them. We're all together in the Lord's family. The first question we get as we look at these first few verses, but in the following instructions, Paul again now moving on to yet another topic where the Corinthian church needs some instructions. In the following instructions, I do not commend you. He actually came from a section where he did commend them, and I should recognize that because I beat up on the Corinthians here a little bit. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, you're gathering as a church, you're taking the Lord's Supper, and people are coming out worse. Church in Corinth, there is something you are teaching without using any words. So there's this, there's this little quote I heard for, for dads. It's on the dad calendar, some of you know what that is. <clears throat> don't be worried that your kids don't listen to what you say. Be worried that they watch what you do. Ah, wish that was false. I'm sure it is. It's got to be. Don't worry that your kids don't listen to what you say. Worry that they watch what you do. Church in Corinth, I don't, I don't know how your sermons are going, but when you gather, you're teaching. And people are coming out worse for it. For in the first place, Paul goes on to say, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves too 
too far. We don't want divisions among ourselves here. Right? We, do, we don't. And that, that will be an application here. What they were doing, they were, they were dividing kind of socioeconomically. They were dividing just like everyone else. And therefore, they didn't show who God is. They showed, a, they showed some other empire, but they didn't show Jesus's. And therefore, it was wrong. I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And he goes on to say that, 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 that there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's a troubling little verse. To think that just because we walk in those doors out there and come sit in here, I must be fine. To think that because maybe we, 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 we kind of try to obey some of these things, I mean, maybe not all, all of them, but you know, we're doing pretty good, that we must be fine before the eternal God who will judge us. So in Corinth, they needed a little bit of a wake-up call. Just because you walk into this guy's house for the church gathering doesn't mean you're just all right with the Lord. When you come together, listen to this, when you come together, it is, here's an important little word, not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They're here, they're gathering, they're here for the Lord's Supper, and Paul's saying, you come together and you have a party, but it is not the Lord's. Whose is it? In their setting, if I kind of recreated the scenario, you, you know whose supper it was, right? It was the host's. It was all about him. He had the people he wanted to honor. It was, it was a good get-together. And again, notice in here, Paul does not condemn those private get-togethers. He's condemning the fact that they came together as the church and yet they're not treating everybody equally. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And then he describes the situation that I attempted to describe. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. This could be the, you guys got lots to eat over in this room and, and, and you came early and, and you're going ahead with it. Another way to, that, that this could be translated is that some of you go ahead and you like devour your food. You consume it as in you have lots to consume and you just, you kind of go after it while you have brothers and sisters right over here in this room who you're absolutely ignoring. There's a little bit of background that, that it, the historians, they wrestle with because there was a famine in this part of the Roman Empire Probably sometime around when this church, you know, that, that Paul's writing to, nobody can prove it, nobody can line it up exactly that it was happening. But you know when, when there's a shortage of things? Maybe not like toilet paper, I don't know if this is going to play out exactly in our context. I don't know if the wealthy ended up with more toilet paper and the... the... All right, back to the Word of God here. <clears throat> when there was a famine in the ancient world, 
obviously those who were lower socioeconomically were hit more. I mean, we, we do see this in our, in our culture. When the economy goes bad, it's those who are closer to the, can I put food on the table? It is, it is those people who get hurt more than those in the middle, upper middle, and upper class. That's a separate discussion on how our economy ought to be good for everyone and produce lots of jobs for everyone. But in this world, when there's a famine and there's less to do, less work, less, feel, produ, pr, pr, being, pr, less, less crops being produced, there just is less food to go around. And those down here who, in this case, were part of this church, Again, we can't line up exactly that, that this famine was going on exactly at this time. That, that is kind of conjecture. It did happen. In, it, we know that. We, we, we know roughly uh, when it happened. So that would only exacerbate the, the situation that's going on here. But you get the idea that some people are gathering as a church, for the church, um, uh, for the Lord's Supper. And they're just partying away, so to speak eating all their food, not sharing with those who have very little. Paul lays into them, or do you, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Here's What's important, here's why I say it's, it's one thing to talk about unity, it is another thing to practice it. Paul has not yet taken them to task for wrong teaching. He has taken them to task for their actions. Actions speak. <laughs> Kids, watch. We watch each other. And we learn from that. We need to live it out, not just say it. This is the great phrase that's, that sounds wonderful until you become a pastor. Practice what you preach. Like, man, I had to preach last week. I'm preaching this week. Preach this evening. That's a lot of preaching. I got a lot to practice. But even though you're not preaching this, you, you still have to practice it, all right? I'll practice it with you. Paul sets it up like this. He condemns them for that. He does not commend them. He does not condemn them in a, in a sense of salvation. But he's talking to believers, saying what you're doing is wrong. This needs to be fixed. And then at the centerpiece of this passage comes this paragraph where he roots their practice, certainly of coming together as a church, coming together for the Lord's Supper, and we would say roots us in those things, and all of life he brings us back to Jesus Christ. Let me read through this paragraph again. For I received, Paul says, starting in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Those are familiar words. If you've been around the church, we almost always read these as we move into our time of communion or our time of the Lord's Supper, and rightly so. 
This is what the inspired scripture hands down to us as the words to put around this act, this remembrance that we do. Let's just pause and thank God for his grace in this, his mercy and kindness, that it's not your body that had to break. And it wasn't mine. That one stepped down from heaven, took on our form, took on the form of a man, and that man died as you, a very torturous, a very humiliating death and received on himself all the punishment, the biblical, the wrath of God towards sin goes on him so that all of us who believe find freedom as we sing. I've told Doug, I've told Jordan, I love singing. I love singing with you, but I have this one. I cannot remember the words we sang like 10 minutes after the song. I, I don't know why. I'm like, I love that song. What, what was that called? What did we do? So I'm trying to remember some of these things. But I remember it, Jordan, because of your passion and because of your excitement. And because of that line, free, free. Who's free? The redeemed people of Jesus Christ, we are set free because he hung on the cross. Because he hung on the tree, as the scripture says. Because of what Jesus Christ did, we receive that. And not just me. This is where the individual, well, am I right with the Lord? Am I right with the Lord? Am I right with the Lord? That's a very important question. But part of that I can only answer in light of how I am with each of you. I can't have just sinned against you and then say, well, oh, I'm fine. I'm forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is saying, Eric, you got you to gotta work something out here. You, you haven't connected all the dots. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the believers in Corinth. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. And at the end of that verse about his body being broken again, there's, there's two words right there that go like this. For you. For you. I hope that sinks deep into your heart. Two things. One, how much God loves you. If your eyes have been opened to the truth of all that we're talking about and reading the truth of what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross and why that happened, then, the, the, then, then God has poured out his spirit, poured out his love through his spirit on you. And I hope that sinks deeply into your heart. But remember, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you have a wrong view of God and you somehow think he is still stingy and self-centered and sitting back and just judging you, that might fit the description of someone you know, but it does not fit the description of the God of the Bible. There is no one who outgives him. And Jesus shows us that invisible God. Jesus shows us the heart of the invisible God. 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this then as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember, remember, remember. And church, remember Jesus. In all you do as you go to work, remember Jesus. As you sit at home, remember Jesus. As you gather as the church, remember Jesus. Do everything you do for the glory of God. Doing all in the name, in the kingdom, in the likeness, with the mind of Jesus Christ, whatever you do. His blood, he said, is shed, and this is a new covenant. The old covenant is done. The new covenant is here, and we live under this new covenant. And one of the big things I want to put in front of us, there's lots of unpacking that has been done and, and we could do, but I just want to put this in front of us, forgiveness. Now, I don't know all your sins, and as much as it would be, well, I don't know what it would be if we had an open mic time and we all just came up here and shared just a few of our sins. In the new covenant, those are erased. There's a name in a book, a book of life. Your name. And it's in the book of life because where all of our deeds are recorded, it might look something like this. Your name could be recorded there and all of your deeds, maybe good and bad, could be listed there. But the blood of Jesus washes over all those deeds. The blood of Jesus not your effort, not your sweat and toil and blood, not mine, but the blood of Jesus washes over all the deeds you've done and all of those deeds which you have done to offend the loving and living God. And in some cases, to offend and hurt others, those deeds have been forgiven by him. And Jesus brings this back up when he's teaching. Matthew records this. The Lord's Prayer. When we ask forgiveness of God, we also know we grant forgiveness to others. And practice what we preach. Practice what we preach. Practice what you somebody else preaches. Practice what you listen to. If you've been forgiven, will you forgive others? Let me just say at, the, at this point, your, your job is not to look and consider what does Doug need to work on, what, who does he need to forgive. There, that, that's hard because the things that we don't want to raise up are our own errors and, and, and hurts of others just got put on public display last week. The names of people hurt were read and, or announced last week. Unless you were one of those named, your job is to make sure Satan doesn't creep in and tempt you to get involved in something of which you were not a part. Should you pray for the people involved? Absolutely. Should you start picking sides 
well, I, I know this, so I'm with so-and-so. No. No. And that has been the challenge for a lot of you and a lot of us as we walk through this. We don't envy those who had to gather all the information and make decisions about this. Our job is to remember that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed for my sins, for my journey, for what's in front of me, for your sins, for your journey, for what is on your plate, for your temptations, for the people maybe that you need to talk to and reconcile with. I don't know about you, but that's, that's enough for me to take care of my journey, my road, and to do that with those I am walking with, those I might have offended, those that I need to go talk to, which I don't feel like there's any at the moment. Preaching on this passage does make you reflect, Lord, what do I need to do? All of this really matters. This, this, isn't, this isn't just, oh, here's one of these passages, I should probably get that right. Because as Paul goes on and, and finishes up his passage, he says, guys, here's the implications of this. Whoever, therefore, verse 27, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, it is very possible, I think we all recognize this, in our, it is very possible to stand up from your seat, to move forward, to take the, the bread and the cup and to do it in an unworthy manner. And if we do, we're guilty. We're guilty, it says, concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, what, is, what does that mean? I think what Paul's getting at here is that we're not living consistent according to what we profess. If we really believe in the gospel, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, and yet we can be at odds with someone else and come up and say, yay, I'm just going to partake in communion today because it was offered. That's wrong. It's an unworthy approach to the Lord's Supper. Again, I don't think our issues are the same as, as their issues. What they needed to stop doing was stop when they come together as a church, stop being so divided. They need to put everybody in the same room, rich and poor, people who've got lots of food, people who don't. If you want to have a private party, if you want to have some friends over, Paul's saying, do that beforehand. You've got your own houses, do it beforehand. It is possible for us to come and take communion in an unworthy manner. Let a person, Paul says, well, so, so what do we need to do? And Paul says right here, let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. He comes back around this... This phrase, the body, uh, is one that, that, that 
we wrestle with what, okay, but what, what, are you, what are you talking about here, Paul? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Why don't, why don't you include the blood and, 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 you can, and keep it all consistent with where you're going? Does he mean, and, and he might, I think there's two ways to understand. What does it mean? What, what, what is the body that we need to discern? One is the body of Christ. And we went here last week, remember, where Paul met Jesus? Yeah, that wasn't a party. Paul on the road, bright light flashes around him, voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus thinks what happens to his body, what happens to the church, a church happens to him. That's how connected Jesus is with his body. So if we disregard the body, we are disregarding Jesus Christ. Are we discerning? Are we right with one another? Is there anything we need to work out with one another? This is what Jesus is concerned about. Unity is great to say, great to put on a commercial, great to put in front of people, and can be hard to do. The body Discern the body, how am I in the body? Examine yourself. How are you with this body of believers or others? Is there someone that you need to talk to, to ask his or her forgiveness? Examine how you are with the body. I think the other way we can understand the body is, is just simply, this is Paul's shorthand for body and blood. It's shorthand for the gospel. If you profess this with your mouth, then do it with your actions. Then live it out. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, without considering others, without discerning our profession of faith and examining, are we practicing what we're preaching eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's where it gets serious, and, and I think we just take this for what it is. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Well, does that fit your theology? That, that maybe even here, as, as potentially as Christians, ongoingly maybe disobeying the, work, the words of God, disobeying God, treating others wrong. In, the, in this church, Paul seems to know that's why some of you, he says, you're weak and ill, and some have died. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know, and Paul doesn't explain this. He, he doesn't tell us exactly how that happened. Was it like struck down like immediately? I, I, I don't know. We, we do see that in the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. Was this maybe an illness that seems incurable, though others maybe find a cure? Is this a death that it seems un untimely or too soon? I think we just take that verse for what it is, and we say, you, uh, I mean, maybe, I don't know, commit the, that could be a memory verse for you. That's not a real, I don't know if that made a wanna, but that might be a memory verse for you. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. Write that in a card, huh? Cheer up. Obey Jesus. 
Hope you get better soon. Just a verse for reflection. I'm not, I'm, yeah, you're taking it correctly if you're chuckling a little bit, but there's some seriousness to it, right? Maybe there is some reason for reflection here, not because there's Ill, but illness or something, but just because we say, wow, I don't know if I take this as seriously as the Lord does. I just, I just sort of go through my Saturday evening routine, and I wake up Sunday morning, and I try to get some coffee, so I'm awake. And I just kind of show up, and oh, wow, Lord's Supper today. I didn't really think about that. Man, some were weak and ill, and some have died because of how they practiced this. Without examining themselves, without discerning the body. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Lord disciplines those he loves. A good verse for you to look up afterwards is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. The writer of Hebrews is going to quote a passage from the book of Proverbs. Do not despise discipline my son. Oh, we all love discipline. Man, we love it. Bring it on. Bring on discipline. No. We all like to think we're fine. Everything's going just fine. There's no need for discipline. I'm just fine. Oh, examine yourself. Nah, that's all right. Maybe tomorrow. Let somebody else examine you. Oh, no way. We are to examine ourselves, and the discipline of the Lord is a good thing. That's what he does to those he loves. Because he knows we're not fine. <laughs> if anybody knows we're not fine, it's the Lord. And every once in a while, we get a glimpse of the truth. He disciplines those he loves so that we don't walk away from him. The discipline is meant to bring us back when that's needed. The discipline is meant to bring us back so we're not, and here we now get this, this word condemned along with the world. I think Paul is using the word world here as those outside the church. This is a heaven and hell distinction. Jesus is, our Father disciplines those he loves, wants us. This interesting thing about we are, we are secure in his hands. No one can steal us from his hands, and yet we are those same people who need to be disciplined, who need to be corrected. And may God do that to us as we need. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Here he's kind of wrapping everything up. Listen, it's not that you're getting teaching wrong. It's, it's that maybe you're not applying the truth of the gospel of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to do. Quit doing your Lord's Supper the way you have been, church in Corinth. When you wait, when you come together, wait for one another. Don't start early. We, I mean, we read this, and some were actually getting drunk while some were still showing up and, and, and didn't have as much to eat. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. This is talking more, a little bit more to the rich. Hey, if you're so hungry that you need to start eating when you, when you get there and can't wait for people, then eat something at home. This is the mom said, like, get a snack, all right? Get a snack so you have a little self-control. 
eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment and about the other things. Because there are other things, Corinth, that he needs to talk to you about. I will give directions when I come. How seriously do you take these things? There's a lot of places in this passage where Paul brings us back to this. The Lord sees this as serious. Not necessarily just solemn and and but serious. You've been forgiven. Are you offering forgiveness to others? You have been reconciled with the living God. Are you reaching out to others to seek reconciliation? That's not for you to think, is someone else doing this? It's for you to think, do you need to do this? It does not say examine someone else. Let's see verse 28. Let a person examine himself. That's my job and that's your job as we approach the Lord's table. But let me end on this. Worship team, come on up. Let me finish with this and then I'll give us some instructions because we are going to go to the Lord's table. Look with me at verse 26, will you? This is, this is where Paul is saying, this is communion. This is the Lord's Supper. This is the teaching. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you do this thing. You, when you eat and when you drink, you're going to do this one thing. And here's this word he puts in here. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we get up from our chairs and as we go and we get the, the, the bread and, and the juice, we are telling each other and the world, God has reconciled me to him. I am reconciled with the people of my church. It is right that there is some celebration in that, that we say if we examine ourselves and say, I get to participate in this, man, do it with all joy. Because as Jordan mentioned, it's, or, and, and as Rich mentioned in his prayer, it's not us who have reconciled ourselves to him, it is God's work. He has done it. You, in standing up and taking this, each month when we offer this, you are proclaiming the gospel. Let's make that an accurate and joyful proclamation because Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you and for us together. Here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to play a song here. During that time, if you haven't been doing this already, just maybe take a little bit of time, examine yourself. We want to be doing this, partaking of this right. There's something you need to confess, do it. This isn't a time to like beat yourself up and, and, and oh, I got to go to the great depths and I'm sure I'm unworthy of taking this. The scriptures say through the blood of Christ, you've been washed clean. If there's something specific that comes to mind or someone specific and you need to sit this one out, then do it. There is, there is nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything right with doing that. If you need to ask Jesus to forgive you for a sin just bef before you come up, then do that. 
spend a little time examining yourself during this song. But during this song, if you're going to come forward, then just then come forward. Examine yourself. Don't examine others. Don't need any checklist people in the back. Oh, so-and-so didn't go up. And then we rejoice in a broken body. So during this song, come forward. There's two, uh, two no, three stations, four stations. Uh, yeah, it's a hide and seek. You find them. No, just kidding. Um, there's two up here. There's two in the back. Just go to one of these stations. We'll sing this song, and then I'll come back up. We'll take communion together. So just hold the elements until we, we take them together. And then we'll have one more closing song. Jordan, over to you.
a night on this planet in which the maker of this planet was betrayed by another man. And the result of that betrayal, by God's design and by human effort, was that the maker of this planet, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was hung on a cross. It sounds so odd to our minds that that would be good news. But this true story that permeates all of life and all the busyness of all that's going on in all the world out there comes in here a little bit with us, there's this true story which says, you and I aren't right with God, or we weren't right with God, but through the body broken and the blood shed, everyone who comes to the Father through the one who was betrayed, through Jesus Christ, will be forgiven. We'll be made right, we'll be adopted into the family, we'll have the promise of life forever and ever and ever with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you're going to see him. We get to do this until he comes back. Then I, I think we don't need this anymore. There's going to be a feast. We want to walk worthy. Not unworthily, we want to walk worthy all the days the Lord gives us and then we're going to see each other at that feast. I can't wait to see you. And we're going to gather together and enjoy the wedding feast of the Lamb. But until then, this is what reminds us that Jesus has come and died and he will come again. So, Frack family, the body has been broken for you. Eat together in remembrance of King Jesus. blood was shed, representing and initiating a new covenant. Drink this and remember and look forward to his second coming. Let me pray for us and then let's respond together with our final song. Father God, we praise you and thank you that this is your heart. You don't give begrudgingly, you give so generously. Thank you. Let us see the joy in all of this, even as we have to examine and make sure we're participating in a worthy manner. We thank you. Thank you for sealing us with your spirit, for showing your love to us. Strengthen us by that same spirit to walk in ways that please you because we want all of our life to be a proclamation of this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.